this week's chapter will be Lamentations chapter 2, and we'll title it, The Lord as Your Enemy. You know, in chapter 1, the prophet laments deeply over the fall of Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. And in this chapter, we're going to see it emphasized that though it was the Babylonians that actually came in and conquered Jerusalem and, and killed all the people and did all this horrible stuff, it was actually God himself who ordered the invasion and the destruction. And, you know, if we don't ever... One of the main lessons we can learn from this book is looking at the aftermath of this great destruction and thinking to ourselves, I don't ever want the Lord as my enemy. And that's what this chapter is going to be about, because you can make God your enemy. And uh, you can do it by disobedience. You can do it by... um, you know, uh, refusing to repent and things like that. You can actually have God standing against you with his sword drawn, ready to execute judgment. And that's a fear. It's a, there's a, uh, I think there's a scripture in the New Testament that says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God when he's mad at you. Um, you know, most of the mainstream church only talks about personal salvation and the grace of God. But what the church in America need most right now, and again, it's the theme of this book, is a good reminder that we should fear God. And in fact, the book of Proverbs says the beginning of knowledge is, to, is the fear of the Lord. If you don't fear the consequences of your actions and um, you think you can just live however you want and promote whatever you want, um, you're, you're setting yourself up for destruction. Chapter 2, verse 1, How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger, and cast down from heaven unto earth the beauty of Israel, and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger. Now picture this. Picture this. It, it's saying that God's anger now is covering over Jeru- covered over Jerusalem like a very, very dark, powerful storm cloud. And you know how fast those can move in. You know, it could be bright and sunny one day, and all of a sudden, dark clouds just move in and, and just wreak havoc. You know, down, especially down in the south with those big, uh, you know, big tornadoes and things like that. Uh, that's, that's what God wants us to picture. You know, because the people thought everything was, oh, everything was great. It was sunny outside, nice. Everybody's just playing and eating and doing whatever. And all of a sudden, the Babylonians come and... Everything changed in an instant from, uh, from them being a great nation to them not even having a nation. And it was very, uh, a very sad moment. You know, it talks about this beauty, the beauty of Israel. Um, what, what we're talking about here, I have no doubt he's talking about the temple. The temple was like the, it was the center of the nation. It was the symbol of the nation. Um, and, and, uh, that he said that that uh, he cast that away in his anger. You know, I can't help but think about what the temple symbolizes today. And this chapter is mainly about that temple being destroyed. Is uh, the temple symbolizes the the many membered body of Christ? It, it it symbolizes the church. Okay, so when you think about this, God is angry at His church, and just like He was back then. He still is today because of the things that they do. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, again, this is the day of his anger. It says uh, he, he will not spare. Verse 2, the Lord, 
Again, the Lord, he didn't say the Babylonians, even though God used the Babylonians, the Lord has swallowed up all the habitations of Jacob and hath not pitied. Now check that out. All we hear today is, oh, God will just, uh, you know, he's merciful God, he's a loving God, and that's all we, we hear about. But there's also a side of God where it'll get to a certain point where he will not show mercy. He will not pity. And we're talking about nations and people who refuse to repent. They don't deserve mercy because they're not even asking for forgiveness, number one. You think a leftist that's out there uh, blaspheming God and, and holding up signs against God, do you think God's going to show pity towards that person? Maybe if they would repent, but if they're in a state of... There, there comes a time where God gives somebody every chance that they're going to have to repent, and if they don't do it, it says here, He hath not pitied. And when God doesn't have any more mercy for you, and He doesn't show pity for you, it is it's not a good thing because that means his wrath is coming. He is now your enemy. He, again, he hath, and you'll see this all throughout this chapter, he hath, the Lord hath. It is him that's doing it because of his righteous judgment. He hath thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He hath brought them down to the ground. He hath polluted the kingdom and the princes there. Of Okay, the strongholds, that would be like your military fortic fortifications and things like that. Um, God destroyed those things. You know, so, you know, we, we shouldn't put our trust in things that we think are going to protect us. Um, you know, we want to build a wall, obviously, a wall on the southern border, probably like a wall on Canada, too, with how liberal they're getting. Um, and, and wall around some of our inner cities like Minneapolis, just build a wall around those. But we can't, you can't totally trust in strongholds or walls. They're good, but you have to trust in God. God is our ultimate wall. He's our ultimate protection. Because if we put our trust in our own might, um, if we say we have the strongest military in the world, we, could, we, could, we should fear no one, that's, that's a recipe for disaster because God can totally take down the strongest military in the world just like that. If he's, if he's against them, okay? So, and, and, I, and like I said in the current events message, I feel like this could go either way. We are at a tipping point. And I feel that the book of Lamentations is a warning of what will happen or what could, could or will happen if we continue down the path we're going and we don't repent as a country and start bringing righteousness back. This could be our fate. Exactly what we're reading here. Um, Verse 3, he hath cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel, or all the power of Israel. He hath, now check this out. He hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he burned against Jacob like a flaming fire, which devoureth round about. You know what it says here? He hath drawn back his... So God normally will hold back our enemies, right? He'll protect us. But if he's really angry at us and it gets to the point where he's like, all right, justice must be done, he will, he'll just basically say to the enemy, all right, go get them. Have at them. They're yours. You know, and that's what it says here. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. He let the enemy go in. And as we know historically, the Babylonians conquered the city, they, they violated the women, they burned everything up. Um, we're going to find out here in a little bit, even all the a lot of babies were killed in the streets, and it was very horrible. Um, 
Something that, you know, something that Americans think would never happen here, right? That could never happen here. That's in some other country. You, you watch movies about World War II and you see whole cities get bombed and destroyed. Oh, gosh, I'm so glad I live in America. That'll never happen here is what we often think. It can happen here. Okay, I'm not saying it will. I'm saying we can never have that attitude that it can never happen here because guess what? The children of Judah had that exact attitude. It'll never happen to us. We will never lose the city of Jerusalem. We're too strong. We're too powerful. Nobody will ever be able to do that to us. And guess what? They were wrong. Okay? They were wrong. Um, verse 4. He hath bent his bow like an enemy. God has. He's standing there. Now he's actually bending his own bow against the Israelites. Uh, he stood with his right hand as an adversary and slew all that were pleasant to the eye in the tabernacle of the daughter of Zion. Now check this out. He poured out his fury like fire. Now it's important, especially our young, our young kids today, to know that God's wrath is real and it can be severe. You go against God and guess, what ha guess what's going to happen? He poured out his fury like fire. Imagine that. You don't want to be God's enemy. I'll tell you that. You don't want to be one of these mockers and scoffers and, and things like that because you may get away with it for a time, but guess what? That anger is building up and you're going to be on the receiving end. You're going to be on the receiving end. Verse 5, the Lord was an enemy. As an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He hath destroyed his strongholds and hath increased in the daughter of Zion, or in the daughter of Judah, mourning and lamentation. And that's what this book is about. It's, it's about, it's lamentations. It's, it's all this mourning. It's a poem about mourning over everything that was lost. And um, man, I do not want to live in America and have this happen to us. I really don't. And, and uh, what I can say is we can't continue going on the path that we're going and expect this not to happen to us. Expect this not to happen to us. Um, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier the, about the strongholds. We shouldn't put our trust in anything other than God. We want to be strong. We want to have a strong military, but we can't solely put our trust in that. Now think about this. Some of our military leaders that were appointed under Obama are actually anti-American communists. Um, you have uh, the ex-head of the CIA that tried to uh, help organize a coup against President Trump, uh, John Brennan. He was, at one before he was in the CIA, years before that, he was actually a card-carrying communist. Okay, So you, right now you can't solely trust in the American military. I think there's some really good people there, but there are still some very, very bad people high up in our military. Um, but anyways, I'll, I'll say this. Jeremiah, or I'll quote this verse here from Jeremiah 17, verse 5. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. And maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. In other words, that's like going out uh, and saying you can take on the world. Nobody can defeat you because you bench press 500 pounds. Okay? And I don't need God. I can handle this all on my own. You know? Um, 
Uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 5. So in other words, God says, directly says, you're cursed if you trust in other men to save you, or if you trust in yourself, or if you trust in what Psalms 20, 20 verse 7 says, some trust in chariots, mighty war vehicles, and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Okay? That's the key. That's the key. In God we trust. Our motto is the key. If we would just live up to our motto, in God we trust and one nation under God, we'd be totally fine. We'd be totally fine. Verse 6, And he, here it is, you can underline this, so, I mean, I wonder how many times this is stated. It'd be interesting to count. And he hath, that means God has done this, violently taken away his tabernacle as it were a, of a garden. He hath destroyed the, uh, the places of the assembly. The Lord hath, hath caused the solemn feasts and the Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion and hath despised not the church, and hath despised in the indignation of his anger the king and the priest. Now what does it say there? God despised the political and the religious leaders of Judah at this time because they were all a bunch of apostates. They were a bunch of sellouts. Um, you look at uh, you know, our, uh, many of our churches today, I should say, I, I shouldn't say many, most of our churches today are in apostasy. They don't, they don't teach the Word of God. They don't study the Word of God. Uh, the pastors do not protect or shepherd their sheep. They lead them right to the wolves. And um, they're corrupt. They're absolutely corrupt. And that's why God says here, His indignation of His anger is toward the king and the priests, the re political and religious leaders. Um, verse 7, The Lord hath cast off his altar, he hath abhorred his sanctuary, that's his church, he actually abhorred the church, he hath given up into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces, they have made a noise in the house of the Lord, as in the day of a solemn feast. Okay, so the enemies, God allowed, God was so upset with the church that he allowed the enemies to come in, march right up, right into the church and do whatever they wanted. Um, it almost feels like that's already happened. You look at our church today and you look at uh, all the, the nonsense that goes on in our churches. Um, it, it's, it's abhorring. It's abhorring. Um, but, you know, someone would ask, why would God cast off his own altar and abhor his own sanctuary? Isn't, that doesn't sound right, you know. But think about this. If it gets, you know, God's long-suffering that everybody should come to repentance. He's very patient with the church. But if it gets to the point where his church is so defiled, it's time, it, it would come to like the sanctuary or the temple was. It was so defiled back in those days that God just utterly detested it and abhorred it. It was disgusting to him, okay? Because, of, uh, because they defiled it with paganism. They were worshiping false gods. Um, you know, if you go to Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 8. God brings Ezekiel into the temple in a vision. 
He tells Ezekiel to dig a hole in the wall, and he digs a hole in the wall, and, he, and God says, look at what your leaders are doing in my church, in the temple. And he went in there and he looked, and all of the leaders, the church leaders and the political leaders that they were there as well, the elders, they were worshiping false gods in secret, in the temple of God. Now, you, we wonder why God brought so much wrath upon the, the children of Judah back then. It's be, it's, that's one of the reasons why. And he showed Ezekiel why in Ezekiel chapter 8. And then he said they were worshiping the sun, they were weeping for Tammuz, and they were doing all this. All this they were following all of the ways of the heathen just like our churches are doing today. You know, I, I, I'll say it. You, know, you got a, a, an outwardly communist group called Black Lives Matter, and we have a church down the road here, big, fancy, nice church. Everybody looks prim and proper and looks like they love the Lord. And then they let pagan sermons, and the, the pastor's in there teaching a sermon promoting paganism, promoting Black Lives Matter, and also promoting the hatred of white America to hate yourself because you're some kind of a racist if you're white, um, and so on. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just the tip of the iceberg when you really get into and you really analyze what's going on in these places. Um, verse 8, The Lord hath proposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He hath stretched out a line. Now check this out. He hath stretched out a line. He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore he made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. Now why would, he, why would God be out there with a measuring line measuring, um, measuring Jerusalem? You know, if he's going to destroy it, you know, normally you think of measuring, you get a tape measure out or any kind of measuring tool. You use, you use that to, um, to build. You use a measuring line to build. But there are, there are instances in the Bible where God actually use a me, uses a measuring line or a measuring rod for destruction. For destruction. Um, I get a little bit of an analogy uh, for you here that might help you understand why that would be. Um, you know, the, uh, at our local um, uh, youth hockey association, the ice rink failed underneath the uh, concrete. You know, ice rinks have concrete underneath the concrete. There are tubes of, you know, coolant that keep the uh, cement really cold so it can free, you know, so you can, when the water goes on there, it can become ice and so forth. Well, that floor failed. And um, instead of just going in there and totally uh, ripping apart the whole building when it was only the floor that failed, um, you ha we had to have people come in there and measure out where the ice rink is, and then they had to cut the concrete exactly where it needed to be cut and pull out just that part that we needed to rebuild. Okay, um, so and I think this is basically what God's doing here. It, it shows that when He brings His wrath, even when He brings His wrath, it's not a careless destruction. It's, very, it's a very accurate and precise uh, judgment that he meets out. In other words, I mean, he's gonna, it's going to be fair, it's going to be just, and he's only going to punish those areas that need punishing. Okay? So if you get anything out of it, why would God take a measuring line upon Jerusalem? Because he's very exact. Okay? He's very exact and he's very righteous in his judgment. Um, 
Interestingly, this ties in prophetically, and I don't know everything there is to know about this yet, but I do want to share this with you guys. In Revelation chapter 11, it, there is a future prophecy regarding the, uh, a future judgment on either the area of Jerusalem or the apostate church. And um, it, it, in, um, he, he refers to that as the... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember. I don't have the exact verse here. Well, maybe I have it next. Oh, I have it here. I'll just read it. All right, here we go. Instead of me fumbling on my words, I'll just read uh, what it says here. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. It says, And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod. That's a measuring uh, rod, like a big ruler, yardstick. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. Now, some people get, you know, I used to get confused at this first. Why, why is he measuring this? Uh, what's the purpose of this? And then he goes on verse 2, he says, But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Okay? So there's definitely a connection here between uh, the temple and the altar in Revelation. Uh, there's definitely a connection to th these passages and the passages that we're reading in Lamentations chapter 2, where God abhors his sanctuary, he abhors his altar, and so forth. We have the same thing going on here. Revelation 11.1 1 isn't measuring to build the temple or the altar. It's measuring those things for destruction. Now you look at this, it says, So God is very angry with the temple of God, the altar, and those that worship therein. We're either looking at a future temple that is built, which I have a very hard time seeing uh, happen as far as being anything legitimate, or we're spiritually talking about the church of God, where God's looking at the church, he's measuring it, and he's saying, I'm setting you aside for destruction. And you know what, and what's interesting? He doesn't punish the Gentiles. He says, I'm going to let them have the city. I'm going to leave them out of the measuring for punishment. I'm going to, but only for a time, 42 months. So he punishes what you would, what you would think would be God's house. He punishes the house of God first. And then after that, after he lets the Gentiles or the heathens run wild, then he comes back and punishes them after the 42 months. Um, anyways, back to Lamentations chapter 2, verse 9. Her gates are sunk into the ground. He's talking about uh, the city and the temple. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. Now think about this. It says the law is no more. Well, when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, uh, the kingdom of Judah fell. And their political leaders were taken into captivity. They became slaves to the Babylonians. And the entire government collapsed. There was no law. So when you think about that, how astonishing that is. One day there's government and order. The next day, you don't even, the, the children of Judah didn't even have a government. All their leaders were taken away and everything destroyed. Everything destroyed. You know what happens when that happens, when there's no law and order, it's nothing but chaos 
and destruction. Like we mentioned in, the, in a prior study, the, the women actually, the mothers actually started, they were starving to death because of the war. They, they began, they killed their own kids and ate their own kids. They were so desperate in that siege. Um, the, all the kids up here now are looking at me like, oh no, don't do that. Don't do that to us. <laughs> yeah, it got that bad. Got that bad. Um, we, that's why we want, uh, number one, we want law and order. Uh, we want a president to keep law and order because if we let Black Lives Matter and Antifa and the Democrats get power, this is going to be not good, okay? Not good. Um, Lamentations 2 verse 10. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence. They have cast up dust upon their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. Okay, The elders are weeping and mourning. They're astonished. They don't know. They're just totally stunned, in shock. What happened? How did this happen? And the virgins, the young girls, uh, are just, instead of being happy and full of life and smiles and joy, they're walking around with their heads down to the ground. It's just complete misery. Complete and utter misery. That's what it got to. That's what sin, that's what sin always leads to. Helplessness and misery. Verse 11, Mine eyes do fail with tears. This is the prophet writing. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured out upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. Now this, this is, I, I, want, I want us to think about this. This prophet after watching all this happen, he was crying uncontrollably and he was so sickened by all of the death and the misery that he was throwing up. He was sitting there watching this and he was puking his guts out on the ground. And one of the reasons why is because he was watching these children die in the arms of their mother, in the uh, arms of their mothers in the streets. Verse 12, they say to their mothers, where is corn and wine? The little kids are crying out, Mom, Mom, where's the food? Where's the corn and the wine? When they swooned as wounded in the streets of the city, when their soul was poured out into their mother's bosom. Again, dying, in, dying of hunger in their mother's arms. Now that's why I say one, thing, one reason you know some of this stuff could happen really fast is everybody should try to have some emergency food supplies on hand. You don't want to be left in this position uh, where the government falls, there's chaos and disorder, um, cities are burning, and you have no food. And you have no food. You don't want it to get to that. Verse 13, What thing shall I take to witness for thee? What thing shall I liken unto thee, O daughter of Jerusalem? What shall I equal to thee, that I may comfort thee, O virgin daughter of Zion. When he's talking about the daughter of Zion, and he's talking about daughter of... He's talking about, uh, you know, he's likening this to the, the city of Jerusalem and the, the cities of the nation. He's saying, how can I even liken anything in history? What has ever happened this terrible that I can say was like what's happening now? Um, th there doesn't seem to be anything in his mind uh, at this time. For thy breach is great like the sea, who can heal thee? In other words, the destruction was so great and there was such a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness that 
he, you know, that's, he was just in a state of la lamenting. The name of the book, Lamentations. Thy prophets, verse 14, thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not discovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity, but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishment. Okay? In other words, the prophets are the reason why you're in this mess in the first place, in large part. Um, he says, you know, the prophets had seen vain and, vain and foolish things, Historically, when you, read, when you read up on this, the prophets were telling the people things they wanted to hear. Oh, the Babylonians will never come. God's not going to bring his judgment. It's always going to be good. Okay? And, and, and they weren't... Now, check this out. You should underline this in your Bible or underline it in your mind. They didn't seek to turn, um, to turn away thy captivity. Or, uh, I'm sorry... And they have not discovered thine iniquity. What does that mean? Why are the prophets supposed to discover your iniquity? Think about this. What is the job of the pastors in a country? They're supposed to see national sins and point them out and say, we better repent of this stuff or, or God's going to be our enemy. Okay? But they're not doing that. They're telling them, Personal salvation stuff, day in and day out, saying national politics don't matter. Uh, we don't care about the culture and things like that. We just teach Jesus, okay? But the, 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 one of the great sins of the nation was the prophets did not discover the people's iniquity. Even a pastor's job is when he sees, uh, when he's calling people to repentance, uh, whether it's a believer or an unbeliever, should point out from God's word sins, Okay? Sins, not to say, not to totally beat somebody over the head and say you're worthless, you're a loser, even though you are until you repent. But um, not for that, not not to destroy you, but to to warn you to stop doing that and to, to to get back to get right with God. That's really the main job of a prophet, a teacher, and and, and, and in fact, that's the gospel. You're going to die in your sins unless you repent and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember John the Baptist? Repent, repent. We don't hear that anymore very often. Verse 15, All that pass by clap their hands at thee. They hiss and wag their head at the daughter of, of Zion. You know, probably you know, probably these heathen burning flags and uh, holding up signs against the, the, their nation. You know, much like what we see today. Saying, is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? So they're mocking, they're happy. The enemies of, of Israel, or more specifically, the enemies of the kingdom of Judah, the enemies of God's nation, they were so happy when they saw this destruction come. They were rejoicing and relishing in it. Okay? Rel relishing in it. Verse 16, all thine enemies have opened their mouth against thee. They hiss like a serpent and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Certainly, this is the day that we looked for. And we have found, we have seen it. Okay, this is the, this is, We have enemies right now that want to see lamentations play out in America. They want to see America burn to the ground. We see them. Black Lives Matter, Antifa. These are the people that want to see this. You know, I can remember Obama selling his change to Americans 
uh, speaking to his great, speaking to great crowd, saying, "We are who we were waiting for." You know, it reminds me of this is our time. This is our moment to do what? To bring change to America? No. Well, change in their mind, but to destroy America. That's what it was all about. Obama, Obama's dream was to destroy America. Um, Verse 17, the Lord hath done that which he hath devised. Now check that out. Check that out. The Lord hath done that which he had devised. What is that talking about? Well, if, if you when you know if you had been around during these days, you would have ran into prophets like uh, uh, you know of Ezekiel, Daniel, you know, um, um, you know, I could go on and on with all the minor prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They warned of these things. They warned that destruction was near, but the people didn't listen. So there are specific prophecies in Leviticus 26 um, and Deuteronomy 28 that God said, if you disobey me, I will, pun I will, I will send enemy armies in to invade your country. And there were the famous, there was the famous, in Leviticus 26, there were the famous seven times punishments mentioned where God says if you don't listen unto me I'll punish you seven times if you still won't obey I'll punish you seven more times and then seven more times after that and seven more until utter destruction and now guess what the book of lamentations these people were living the last seven punishments the utter destruction fall of the nation right now I believe we're living during parts of the seven we're in a series of seven times punishments. It's just a matter of if we're going to repent and turn from our wicked ways. Um, it, and we, it's been going on for a long time, even all the way back to 9-11, I believe was a punishment from God. I mean, there are, there are prophecies where God says, I'll bring terrorism upon your land. I'll bring terrorism upon your land if you disobey me. Verse 18, in other words, God devised it, he foretold of it. They all should have known about it, and it came to pass. Verse 18, Their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let, let tears run down like a river day and night. Give thyself no rest, let not the apple of thine eye cease. Man, I couldn't imagine living during this time. Arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches, Pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. In other words, we have a call to repentance here. Um, lift up thy hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. In other words, you know, the prophet is telling the people, it's, you better start crying out to the Lord and cry out that he'll save the young children that are in your arms right at this moment. And uh, obviously, a lot of them still didn't. They still didn't. Living like the pagans was more important to them. Behold, O Lord, and consider to whom thou hast done this. Shall the women eat their fruit? Now the prophet's crying out to God. God, you know, come on, you know, show us some, a little bit of leniency here. He says, Shall the women eat their fruit? Shall the women eat their own children and children of a span long? You know, shall the priests and the prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? You know, he, he's, he's, he's pleading with God here. Should, you know, are we just going to let this continually happen, continue to happen? Verse 21, the young and the old lie on the ground in the streets. 
Now picture that. I mean, these people are lying all over the streets. No houses. Their houses are burned up. Black Lives Matter got to them and Antifa. <laughs> okay, hopefully not. My virgins and my young men are fallen by the sword. Thou hast slain them in the day of thine anger. Thou hast killed, now here it is again, and not pitied. You know, I got a, after teaching Lamentations 1, I got this uh, comment on, on the video, basically ripping into me about not, you know, being compassionate or whatever. And, and I was trying to explain to the person, um, you know, yeah, God, you know, as a Christian, we believe in mercy and forgiveness and those things. But I said, the book of Lamentations isn't about that. The book of Lamentations is about a time when a people would not accept God's mercy. They would not repent and nothing was left for them but judgment. Okay, So this isn't the book to be teaching the mercy and grace because the point God wants us to get from this is you better fear his wrath. Okay, okay? Another book is for mercy and forgiveness. And it's not this one. It's not this book. Um, but, but some people get that in their mind. They, they think that that's all God is, a God of love, a God of mercy. But he's also a God of wrath, as we see here. And we can't ignore this book and just uh, say, yeah, it was very severe then, but, but God's loving now, and we got nothing to worry about, because guess what? That's no different than what the prophets were saying to the people back then. You can, God's long-suffering. It'll be okay. You can just keep going on. You can't just keep going on. Eventually, you're going to pay the price. Verse 22, Thou hast called, as in a solemn day, my terrors round about, terrors, so that in the day of the Lord's anger, none escaped nor remained. Those that I have swallowed and brought up hath mine enemy consumed. Okay? So, again, this is the moral of the book. There comes a time where God's judgment will come upon unrepentant sinners, upon nations that have not changed their way. And, uh, and no one can escape that. No one can escape that. Um, unless, of course, you're one of his own, if you're one of God's people. You know, Jeremiah the prophet, um, I believe it historically, um, and don't quote me on this, but I've heard other people mention this, I shouldn't even bring it up because now I'm just kind of guessing because I don't know the source. But um, it was said that in history he was treated very well by the Babylonians and taken care of. Um, and, uh, and I think later on he was even given freedom to leave and go into Europe and go there. Um, so, so God, even in the midst when everything's falling apart around us, he can find a way to protect his own if he so chooses. And you know that happened with Daniel, Daniel the prophet. He ended up becoming uh, great in the great in the kingdom of Babylon, the actual kingdom that destroyed his own nation, um, while all the, the other people had this fate, this uh, this wrath. Um, so again, it looks like it could go either way. I am hopeful because I believe God put Donald Trump in office to frustrate the plans of the enemy. But with everything else going on, I mean, I could very well see this book play out in our country if we do not heed its warnings. Any questions or comments? Yep. <laughs> this measuring. Kind of, there's a metaphor like that. To me it came that maybe he's measuring their faith, their hearts. 
I mean, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you say? Bring me, five, was it five or ten? I can't remember the number, but bring me that many and I won't destroy it. So he, has a, he is a loving God, obviously, but they couldn't find him. So, done. But I think he, kind of metaphor, like he's measuring their faith and their their hearts too, you know. Yeah. And then let's draw the line. I'll blow this part up and save this part. Never, you know what I mean? It's kind of that's how it came to me. So. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I hadn't thought of it like that, but yeah, he, he's if he's he's examining it, right? Right. That's what you're measuring. You're examining um, and trying to be accurate. Great point. I think right now <clears throat> I talked to my sister. And I feel it's a time of separation of his people. Um, he's, he's finding out who are really his people and who aren't. And I think he's exposing that. And um, like, like this, I just found it on your thing, so it is on there. Um, this, that's what this guy said, it, it's gonna go either way. Mm. It's up to us. He reminded me of you a lot. <clears throat> but it's up to us how we make this end. It's up to us as Christians how we, and we have to repent. We have to pray for repentance. That's it. There has to be repentance or it's not going to go. Right. It's going to go the other way. You know, it's interesting that you brought that up because had Hillary Clinton won in 2016, we'd be looking at uh, basically almost nine justices, you know, practically nine, or I don't know how many be, they'd have the majority of the Supreme Court. And we wouldn't have our Second Amendment, we wouldn't have, basically everything would have been lost. And um, so I look at that as, like you're saying, it's up to us that God, instead of letting Hillary Clinton come in and just totally end our nation, because um, I don't see how it couldn't have ended, he gave us, allowed Donald Trump to, to take office to give us one more chance. We have Donald a, a Trump could have never gotten in without God. Mm -hmm. There's just no way. Right. Because he isn't, he didn't come across as, I mean, I'm not judging, but as a as a godly man. Mm -hmm. And now it is just totally turned. Um, he even sent a letter to the, to uh, the, while well, they were doing their thing over there. Yeah. Acknowledging that this is, a day of repentance, and this is the way we have to go. I mean, and this is not a man that's lived his life, not that any of us have, but I mean, I hope I'm closer, but that this man has not lived the life of, you know, and that's what people scrutinize him for. He's praying or he's reading the Bible, but he's not the man that can do that. He's not the man that should do that because he, he's not a godly man. Well, who are you to say he didn't change, you know? Yeah, right. But God is definitely using Donald Trump. Whether, like this guy said, this is it. If we don't pray for repentance and turn our country around, we're done. Right. And that's why I, I, I love Trump supporters. I think they're all great people. But there are a certain amount of Trump supporters that need to understand that. Um, it's not just about getting Donald Trump in office. No. Donald Trump is just buying us time. Yeah, a vehicle. Yeah, to uh, to repent. And so, like I read that verse, "Cursed be he that puts his trust in man or in flesh." Um, if we're supporting Donald Trump because we just think he's going to do it all for us and all that, you know, and with that kind of mentality, that's falling under the curse. We, you know, we want Donald Trump because he's going to promote righteousness, but at the same time, we're supposed 
Christians are supposed to be doing their duty in uh, calling the nation to repentance, making a stand. Christian Overcomers is brought to you by the tithes and offerings of our listeners. If you would like to support our ministry, please go to ChristianOvercomers.com. God bless you, and thank you for your support. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes are wrapped, they're stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible sword. His truth is marching on.